Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So this, uh, this last couple of weeks, I had an interesting take on, uh, with, with the medical doctors. Uh, so the last couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching this video online that talked about uh, seeing things at, uh, at distance and depth perception. And so I watch weird stuff sometimes, but I was watching the scientists talk about that. And they were essentially talking about our, um, the fact that we have two eyes is to help us understand depth perception. And one of the tools that they said, and I don't want you to do this because you'll you'll hear in a second, but one of the tools they said was, they said, you know, cover up one eye and look at an object and then, you know, reverse it and switch. And you'll notice that like your depth perception starts to to shift. And uh, so I'm sitting there and I've never had a problem with my eyesight in my life and everybody else in my family has glasses. And, uh, but I I was doing it and I was like, oh no. I think I'm blind in my right eye. And uh, so I, I did the deal, and sure enough, in my right eye, I can't see nothing. <laughs> like, like six feet ahead of me, apparently, my right eye just quits. My right eye is just like, too far, I'm done. And so I was like, oh, no, I'm blind in my right eye. And so then, all for the, then I call and I, I schedule an appointment. And those of you that have glasses and, and contacts, like you're, you're, you're just like, yeah, welcome to my world. But, but I, I was just there, and so I, I contacted, and they were like, hey, it's going to be like whatever, 12 days, whatever. So for like two weeks, I'm sitting around, and I'm just constantly blinking. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going back and forth. And every time I'm driving, I'm looking at signs, and when I'm watching television, I'm like testing, can I read it? And so we're playing games around the house. It's like, can dad read that? And it's like, no. Uh, and, and so and then I told Chris, I was like, now I understand why you married me. You can't see me. <laughs> like when I close my left eye, I can't see anybody. And so we're, we're having this all go on. And so, of course, guess what happens when you've got like two weeks till an, a doctor's appointment? You just make everything up. You're just like, oh my goodness, I probably have glaucoma. I probably, maybe I have cancer of the eye. Maybe, maybe they're going to have to just gorge, they're going to have to just take my whole eye out. What am I going to look like with a glass eyeball? And what am I going to look like with a patch? Will I start doing pirate jokes? Like I just go through this whole thing for two weeks before this appointment. And uh, as I come up to the appointment, I go in and they're super nice. They set me down. They run me through the whole gamut. And I go in, I sit down and talk with the lady. And uh, she does the whole thing. Like, can you read that? Can you read that? And I'm reading everything. And she's like, what about now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm reading all that. Well, she finally, you know, they do the thing. They're like, do you like number six or number seven, number, number seven, number eight, blah, 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 blah. So they do the whole thing. And uh, we get done. And so I'm like, hey, uh, how, how bad is it? And uh, you know what she says to me? She looks at me. She goes, I spend my entire career trying to give people the eyesight that you have. (laughs) I'm like, Doc, no, you don't understand. Like when I do this, when I cover up an eye, I can't see. She said, stop covering up your eye. (laughs) I was like, no, Doc, you don't understand. If I blink, if I I close my left eye, stop closing your left eye. And I'm like, what? Help me understand. She goes, look, you you have this condition. And I was like, no kidding. Uh, have you met me? And, and, and she goes, you, you have this thing. She goes, you have prescriptions in both of your eyes, but they're reversed. She said, you are 
nearsighted in your right eye and you're farsighted in your left eye. And she said, if I were to give you a prescription, you would be sick. You would walk around falling over everywhere. I was like, why would that be? She goes, because I'd be telling your brain to do something that it hasn't done your entire life. She said, leave both eyes open. I was like, fine. I was like, so I can't get glasses? She's like, you can get fake glasses, but I'm not giving you a prescription. So this is how I, 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 I thought, man, this is amazing for so much spiritual discussion. Like last week, we talked about using our lives in a productive way. And in Matthew 25 last week, if you weren't here, go watch it. Or if you didn't watch online uh, last week, watch, watch last week's. But we talked about production, that, that God has given us these lives to produce for his glory, to do something, not, not to sit still, not to be lazy and not to be apathetic. So production. But this week, we talk about people. People. And I really look at it like so much of what Christianity, where we get off, where we mess up, where people have hurts, where people have been abused in churches or, or have known Christians to be hypocrites. So much so is because we like to close off one eye towards parts of scripture. And we like to only focus in on the parts that we like. Now, there's some people that are, are, are legalists and super religious, and they close off their eye to people and how the, the theology that they're espousing and how they're doing it and how they're going about it hurts people. But then we have a whole nother camp of Christianity that, that so wants people to love them and be loved by them and back and forth that they say, well, the theology doesn't really matter too much. I just want you to be happy with me. And so they close off their eyes to production, living productive lives before Jesus. And so as we approach Matthew 25, verse 31, I want us to keep both eyes open and understand that, that it's good theology that helps us to love people. And if we have strong theology, but we're not loving people, then we're, we're just walking with one eye closed. If we're loving people like crazy, but that word love is not dependent on God or his sovereignty or his goodness or his grace, none of the theology, then, then really we're just closing one eye to theology. And so today, I want us to look at the rest of Matthew 25 with both eyes open. And let's see how it hits us. We are to be productive, but we are to be about people. So when the, fun, the Son of Man, verse 31, Matthew 25, 31, says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Jesus, when Jesus returns in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Can everyone say throne? Sometimes I think when people think of Jesus, we, we have a tendency to, to think of the guy that volunteers the most at the local shelter. Like a super duper nice guy who never says an unkind word. And that's the only way we look at Jesus. And we're like, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be the nice guy that volunteers for everything. And, and, and we go, yeah, that's a good picture. But, but Jesus is so much more than that. There's going to be a day he's returning and he's returning to take his throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, everybody. And he will separate people from one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep 
from the goats. As we pause here, if you're jotting notes, jot this down, or if you're looking at our online app, our eternal king oversees his eternal kingdom. We join him in his priorities. Our eternal king oversees his eternal kingdom. That's who Jesus is. When we worship Jesus, when we sing songs to Jesus, when we celebrate Jesus, we're not just singing and celebrating a nice guy that volunteers a lot. We're we're singing and celebrating over a coming king. And that coming king has the say over the sheep and the goats. Whether we like it or not, that's not closing one eye to it. That's saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to take in the fullness of God. And the fullness of God is he is a king. He's not just a nice guy that did good things. He's a coming king. And with the, the, the eternal kingdom in mind and with his priorities, we have to ask ourselves, what am I doing with my priorities? So much of what moves us emotionally, so much of that is temporal. It's temporary. But so much of what Jesus did, everything that Jesus did was eternal. And the consequences of Jesus' moves and the consequences of, of where he went and who he talked to and how he spoke to them and how he cared for them, all of those consequences had eternal implications. So much of what we, even as Christians, get distracted by and moved by and our emotions go up and down in a day, they're temporary. We've got to understand that, hey, you know what? I worship an eternal king that's thinking about eternal things. We have to loosen our grip to this world, and we've got to hold tightly to Jesus forever. Jesus does sit on a throne. We can't forget that. We have to to think that he's a lot more than just a, a nice guy. He wants us unified in him, and he begs for us to do that, to be peacemakers. Every single one of us are to be peacemakers. Every single one of us are to try to unite with one another, to not put our own priorities above the other, but to consider the other above ourselves. A hundred percent of that is true. But also there's going to be a day where there is a separation. The separation shouldn't be because we've driven the force. The separation is simply all of the decisions that people made with Jesus for their entire human lives. There's going to be a day where King Jesus says, it's time to separate the sheep and the goats. And that should break our hearts. It it shouldn't get us arrogant. It shouldn't get us prideful. It shouldn't motivate us to say, ha ha, I got him and you didn't. No, it should actually break our hearts that, wow, there's going to be a day that people I interact with at the office might be on this other side where where he says, depart from me. But can I I tell you something? While I get to, I'm preaching for a half hour. the, The message here is actually more for people that are inside of the church. Let's continue and you'll see. And verse 33, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is what Jesus is doing right now is preparing the kingdom He spoke this universe into existence in under a week, but he's spending his time preparing a kingdom for you forever. Our eternal home is being prepared by Jesus, and it's taking uh, upwards of thousands of years at this point. He's preparing this for us. He said, it's been prepared for you. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then why? 
Why? Well, because you prayed a prayer. Well, because you, you understood theology. Well, because you went to your Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, non-denominational church. Is that why? Look what he says. He says, this is why I'm, I'm inviting you into your inheritance. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then, parenthetical reference, it drifts away. This is what Jesus is saying, come in. This is what you've done. Then the righteous, it's an interesting word. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or, or, or thirsty and give you drink? And, and when did we see you as a stranger and welcomed you? Or, or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick? Or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. He calls them righteous. The righteous will reply. This is living with both eyes open. He says, you know, you're righteous, and it's because I saw how you lived the theology. I saw that you cared about this stuff. You cared about your neighbor. You actually did some stuff. You didn't just, you didn't have a slogan. You didn't sign up for the right group. You didn't attend the right church. But you, in your heart, were bent towards an overflow for the things of God for all of eternity. You cared about me. You see, he doesn't just say, hey, I'm doing this simply because I saw what you did for them. He says, no, no, no. You did that for me. You, you gave me something to drink. You gave me clothing. And they're confused because they're caught up on just like, no, 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 I didn't see you. How did I give you? And he's like, no, no, no. When you do these acts to my kids, you're doing it for me. And think about it. It's so honest. It's, it's an honest assessment for us. Say, man, what would I do differently if Jesus was right there? If Jesus, if I knew his, his, his nail-scarred hands were right there, and he's telling me, Tolly, I need a drink of water. Do you know how fast I would beeline to grab water? Do you know, do you know I, wouldn't, I wouldn't judge his condition? I wouldn't ask questions? I'd be like, my Savior needs water. And so my theology, my understanding of who Jesus is would drive me so fast to move and to act. There's a reason why we put on display Jim Baltimore and why we put on display our work in East Africa. There's a reason that we keep mission in front of you. Because it's literally, it's, it's living out our faith. It's two eyes open. The productivity, yes, but the productivity for people. The theology for people. 
the caring about others and not just caring about ourselves, but trying to be nice by attending church, but genuinely leveraging our lives for the glory of God. Because why? At the other end of that gift is Jesus. How does that change my gift? If I genuinely have that theology, how does that change my gift? Suddenly, is there anything you could hand to Jesus that would make you feel prideful? Is there anything you could give to Jesus to where you would walk away and you would go, man, it's a good thing I was there. Could you take your entire paycheck for the month and give it to Jesus and go, good thing you got me in your corner. No, it's, it's Jesus. It's the son of God. But what do Christians do? What do we do? Even in our generosity, even in our kindness, we can, we can get boastful. We can get a little arrogant. We can, we can get a little cocky. Never mind the Christians that don't give anything to anybody. And so he looks and he says, hey, you that had the right theology of me, you that loved me so much that it overflowed in your love for humanity, I'm going to call you righteous. Not because of your Bible knowledge, not because of the degrees, not because you went to seminary, not because you attended the right church, but because you had both eyes open. You looked at the theology and you said, this must overflow with my love for people. The sheep and the goats are separated because of how they loved others. The righteous are transformed in both mind and heart, in word and in deed. The righteous are transformed in both the mind and heart and the word and deed. Too often times, Christianity, Christianity, we can be transformed in our minds. And the scripture says that you're transformed in the renewing of your mind. And that's absolutely true. The challenge that people view that is, is just I have to learn more stuff about God. And the more stuff I know about God, that must mean the, the better I am. No, transforming of the mind is what is that new stuff you learn about God translate into how you're caring for people? And do you change any of those behaviors or do you just slap the God bumper sticker on all of your past behaviors? And so what God is calling us to is to say, hey, the righteous, they're going to live with two eyes open. They're going to take their theology and they're going to apply it to their day-to-day -day lives. And that's going to overflow in their love for people. A question, if you're jotting notes, write this in the margin. Just say, do I live out of overflow? Do I live out of overflow? Do, 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 do I do that? Does my life show, if I was to be honest and evaluate my last month, two months, three months, when tax season comes around, am I going to be able to look at my taxes and, and it say, you know what, this is a person who loves out of overflow. They, they leverage their resources. They don't, they don't hold them and, and, and live according to just what they can do for themselves, but rather what they could do for others as well. So then it goes on and it says this, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Man, this is not the volunteer Jesus. 
This is not the give me a sandwich Jesus. This is not the, the California surfer looking off into the distance Jesus. He, he gets serious and he says, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord. Everybody say, Lord. How does that hit you? Then they will answer, Lord. He's not talking to people that simply don't know who he is. He's talking to people that would say he's their Lord. They, they don't respond and just go, who are you? No, they, they respond and they say that, that you are Lord. Lord, when did this happen? Lord, you're, you're, when, when did this go down? When, when, did, when did what you're saying happen for us? He says, look, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and didn't minister to you? Then he will answer saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Eternal decisions. Christian doctrine is more grace and less greed. More grace and less greed. You see what he's saying to them? Is he's like, look, you, you had, both of you had the opportunity. All of us have the opportunity every day. We can live our lives with grace and we can, we can copy Jesus and his grace for others and be generous and kind. And when we see a need, we meet a need. We could live that way or we could live with greed. We could see a need and keep the stuff. See a need and keep the stuff. See a need, keep our time. See a need, keep, and we can live either way. And he's just, and they both, both groups call him Lord. It's not a matter of just, well, if I get the thing, if I just name Jesus Lord, then I'm good. No, no, no. They both called him Lord. They both understood clearly who he was. But the one group who so loved Jesus that it overflowed into their love for humanity, they were called righteous. But the other group that, that they, they did not really apparently let it overflow. They, their understanding of him did not go into their neighbor, did not go into the poor, did not go into the prisoner or the sick. Their compassion element was zero. And he looks at them and he's like, depart from me. You're not spending eternity with me. And, and it's so vital that we have both eyes open. Christian doctrine is more grace, less greed. The, the, the question of when did we see you? Now that you understand that there's two groups, can you imagine the heartbeat since we understand Jesus' motives and how he's saying, hey, this is, this is who you were? Do you understand how that question comes across? You have one group that was doing it. They were loving people. They were being generous. They were finding ways to help. They, they were like, when, when, did we, when did we do that? And the other group that's missing out, they're like, well, where, when, 
when we're when we not do that for you? We, we did, certainly would have done that for you. We, we didn't see you. And the whole motive of like, Jesus, where were you in that? It's really telling. Because the first group, the righteous group, when they were loving on others, Jesus said, I was on the other side of that. And when the second group was not loving on others, Jesus was like, that offense was on me. I was on the other side of that. What would it change if, if you and I genuinely looked at, at our missions in East Baltimore or Kenya or your neighborhood or in this room? What would it change if you said, on the other side of my kindness and grace and generosity is Jesus? Not Jess, not Robert, not Chelsea, not Tolly. Jesus. You know how much it would change with your, your output and even with the feedback you get? Do you know why we get burned and why we get angry and why we get frustrated? Because we do a kind thing and we look at that person for our reward. We do kindness and we go, well, they didn't even thank me. We do kindness and we say, well, when I needed help, they didn't help me. And what is it? We're looking for the reward here and now, and we don't see Jesus at the other end of that. But what if we just go, you know what? I'm going to go love on this person. I'm going to help that person. I'm going to feed and clothe, and, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to live a generous life. And we, we genuinely said, I don't need anything back. Why? Because you don't have enough to pay me. I can't get back from you what I'm going to get in terms of my heavenly Father's reward to me. So I'm not even asking you to. I'm not even trying. This is why Proverbs says don't even loan money unless you're just going to give it away. Because why? Because you, you can't handle lordship. I can't handle lordship. I'm a follower. And so you and I, what would happen? What would change if we said, you know what? On every act of kindness and grace, Jesus is on the other side for me. And you go, no, that's not Jesus. <laughs> you're confused. That's Jess. Like, that's Jess. No, like it's Jesus. What, what, it, what would that change in how we approached one another? What would that change in how we cared about our neighbor? What would that change in how we dealt with one another? If on the other side of that, we didn't see the other person, we saw Jesus. Conversely, both eyes open. What if the only motive was that you learned this and you heard this today and you go, oh man, I got to get my stuff together. Um, um, Jesus is watching. You'd be no more than the second group. I'd be no more than the second group. If I was trying to get a reward out of it, what was the beautiful thing about the first group? They just did it. It overflowed. They're like, Jesus, your love for me is so great. Your grace for me is so great. Your goodness to me is so great. The, 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 the material things, the wealth and the strength you put into my body, so great. I'm going to go and just love other people. I'm just so overwhelmed with your goodness. I'm so overwhelmed with your grace. I'm going to do that for others. And thereby you call me righteous. I'm not doing it to get anything. I'm doing it to be a giver because Christian doctrine is more grace, less greed. I got news for you. This passage makes us uncomfortable. And, and honestly, you could watch literally years of teaching at a lot of churches. And they won't talk about sin. And they won't talk about hell. 
and they won't talk about the reality of death because it's like, oh, that's it's too heavy. People won't, people won't come to hear about that. And, and Christian pastors are, are, are forced to kind of say, man, we got to meet budget and we've got to do this and we got to make sure people enjoy what they're hearing and they got to go home happy. And as a result, we're just dumping half of the scriptures. And we've got to be willing to understand that, like, no, it's important that we understand this. Like, Jesus spoke about hell more than he spoke about heaven. Jesus was more vivid about what hell's description is than even heaven. Like, we're just like, oh, streets of gold. Is that a metaphor? Or is that real? We're not sure, you know? And, 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 but then when we get into hell, it's just like, oh, Jesus spends a lot of time saying, hey, there, there's, there's, let me tell you about it. He said it's a place of eternal torment in Luke 16, 23. He said it's an unquenchable fire, Mark 9, 43. He said it's where the worm does not die, Mark 9, 48. He says it's where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret. Matthew 13, 42. He says that there is no return from hell, even to warn loved ones in Luke 16. Leslie Schmucker from the Gospel Coalition, she writes this. She says, Jesus calls hell a place of outer darkness, comparing it to Gehenna, which is a trash dump outside of the walls of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. Jesus talked about hell more than he talks about heaven, and he describes it more vividly. There's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned against the absolute reality of hell. So if heaven and hell are real, it, it poses a question. This passage poses a question. The sheep and the goats, the left and, and the right side, if heaven and hell is real, it should cause us to think about two things. Do we want everyone to avoid hell for, for, for one? And will we live like it? Will we live like it? When we live our lives, will we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven are supposed to live? Generous and kind and overflowing with compassion to others, seeing Jesus on the other side of every good act, not wanting things from other people, but saying genuinely, I'm living open-handedly and I'm trusting God for all of his provision. Or will we live like greed? This is the only thing I've got. This is my only chance to make money. This promotion's the only one. This friend is the only one I have. This relationship is the only one. And every time we live in a scarcity mentality, we will tighten up. We will pull in. We will, we will want and drag and pull away from other people. Which one are we going to live like? The scriptures are clear for the Christian. We're to live full of grace, full of hope, full of truth, full of, of, of inviting people in to the, the, the heavenly reward through Jesus. That's how we're to live. We're not to live full of greed. We're not to live to try to get every last word in. We're not to live to try to win every single time. We're to live to give grace, give goodness, give away God. Do we see Jesus as king and present at the end of each and every act of charity? Or do we see Jesus as a volunteer nice guy who's got to love me because of who I am? Let's live as citizens of heaven, 
so that there can be more citizens in heaven. Let us live as citizens in heaven so that there can be more. Invite people in. Give out grace. Use your leverage in, in what you have in your life and give it away charitably. Give it away extra because you just go, at the end of this all, it's all Jesus. At the end of all my stuff, it's Jesus. At the end of my paycheck, it's Jesus. At the end of my grace and goodness for others, it's Jesus. I'm going to live out of an overflow mentality that everything I have is Jesus's anyway, and he give him, he's given me the ability to give some away. And how crazy is it that I could meet all of my needs and still be generous to others? How wild is that? So many of us live with a scarcity mentality that we're spending so much time trying to hoard that we're missing out on the heart of giving away. We've got to live with both eyes open. God will take care of you and he will take care of his neighbors through you. Let's see Jesus in others so they see Jesus in us. Let's see Jesus in others so that they see Jesus in us. The biggest thing when we've walked through the book of Matthew this last nine weeks or so, probably one of the longer series I've ever done. The thing you've seen and I've tried to point out to you so many times is this book deals with one word over and over and over, hypocrite. And the, the begging refrain of Matthew is don't be a hypocrite. Don't let how, what we say we're about look different than the way we're living. Don't do that. Right now, if you turn on the news, every, each side, they're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. Why? Because the world looks and just goes, you know what the more pure virtue is? It's just to live exactly as you say you believe. If we say we believe in a generous God who loves, if we say we believe in a God who gives grace and mercy, why not we too live our lives generously? giving grace, giving mercy, and expecting nothing in return. Can we not do that? And so that when people look and just go, that's strange, why do you do it that way? You say, oh man, have I told you about Jesus? There's nothing I could give to him. He's given me everything. And the scriptures say that he's preparing a home for me now. He spoke this little world into existence in six days. He's been spending years preparing a place for me for eternity. I can give nothing that's more than what he's given me. So I have no problem being nice to you. Because I've got both eyes open. My theology, my understanding of God, it opens up my eyes to my love for humanity. And by doing that, I believe the world looks and goes, well, that's different. That's different. I'd like to know more about this Jesus. My prayer is that we would live that way. We would be that type of people so that everybody in Baltimore and the surrounding areas would look and go, I want that Jesus too. I, I want that Jesus that cares about other people relentlessly and selflessly and with full of grace and with full of love and full of truth so that more and more people would populate heaven and depopulate hell. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word.
We thank you, God, that even in the tough wrestling of just understanding the the severity and the reality of, of an eternal punishment called hell, you offer grace and truth. You compel us and you draw us by this example. You, you compel us and draw us to see you at the end of it all. Every act of goodness, every act of kindness, every act of grace and love, every time when we give but we don't get in return, Lord, you, you, you compel us to see you. And Father, so much of what moves our emotions on a day-to-day basis is temporary. We are so confused and the world is, is pulling us constantly closer to itself. But Father, you, you challenge us to be pulled and compelled to things of eternity. God, today we realize there's going to be a coming king named Jesus. And so we don't just serve a nice guy who volunteers at the local shelter. We serve a king. And that king has compelled out of us a charity and a grace and a love for humanity like we've never seen before. Father, I pray that we each of us in this room, would first of all get our own hearts settled on, do we have a right relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords? Have we admitted our sin? Do we believe Jesus is the only one that can take away our sin through his sacrificial death on the cross? And do we confess Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior? But God, we've learned today that even the unrighteous can use the word Lord. It doesn't mean their heart has been changed. Father, I pray that our hearts would be changed. I pray that we would lay down our pride and we would lay down our ego, we would lay down our greed and we would pick up grace and truth and mercy and love and help us to genuinely see Jesus at the other side of every sacrifice. Help us to not be compelled to have to to win or to get something back all the time. Help us to be the type of people that can live charitably in such a way that the world says, I don't know what they have, but man, it's different. They don't live like everybody else. They don't love like everybody else. Father, help us to live and love that way so that heaven can be more populated and less and less people around us would be in that second group. Father, move in us this week. I pray that as we go this week, you challenge us in personal ways to where we know for a fact that that was that sermon coming back in application. Help us this week to do something tangibly different than we did in weeks past. Help us to see Jesus on the other side of grace. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray that you change our hearts and draw us closer to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Can we thank him for his word this morning? Come on.